We're kicking off a brand new series in our time together today called Spheres, and uh, I want to start off by asking a question. How many of you have ever heard things like this in church, you know, that, that used a word like, well, this is a secular song or something like that, this whole idea of secular and sacred. Have you ever heard of that? It's like there's God stuff, and then there's like world stuff. Have you ever heard anything like that before? How many of you knew there's not one verse in the Bible that says that in the New Testament? In fact... In the New Testament church, the first almost 300 years, no one even thought that way. In fact, there's a very, very more recent uh, idea. In fact, it was Cyprian, who was the bishop of Carthage, in 249 AD, almost 200 years, 210 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, that he began to write as one of the bishops that there is the things that are sacred and there are things that are secular. And so really elevating church stuff is more important than other stuff. And, and it's only what happens in church. And so what began to be elevated was priests and ministers. So it's like a priest is a holy man, a pastor is a holy man. And if you work for like IT or corrections or a school teacher, you're kind of less than. Because what you do for a living doesn't matter as much. This was not the teaching, and it is not the teaching in the New Testament at all. And, and so that's what this series is really about, getting back to what God's Word actually says. The reality is you are, and your vocation, your job, you are where you are for His sake. God's placed you where you are. And every one of us has a sphere, a sphere of influence. And God's placed you where you are, doing what it is that you do to influence other people for his sake. And there's so many Christians that feel like, you know, when Monday morning rolls around, like after Sunday, it's like, oh, now I've got to go do that work thing. And, and as it, it's insignificant when reality is, did you realize God is the one who created work? In the garden, he gave Adam work to do before sin ever entered into humanity. Work was God's idea. And God has a purpose in work. And what we do, uh, quite, quite plainly, for a living. And so that's what this message, this series, is really all about. In fact, just, just back up almost 500 years to the day, October the 31st, 500 years ago, was the start of the Protestant Reformation, and, and ignited by Martin Luther in Germany. And uh, they'll be celebrating the 500th anniversary of it coming up October 31st. In the Protestant Reformation, there were four rally cries of the Protestant Reformation. The first was sola scriptura, scripture alone. So in other words, it's like we go back to the Bible. That's what the Reformation was all about. Not the traditions, not the decisions of men. What does the Bible actually say? Sola scriptura. The second rally cry was sola gratia, which means grace alone. Grace alone, that it's by grace that we're saved. The third was sola fide, which means faith alone. You know what the fourth one was? I bet even if you've studied church history, you won't remember this one because it's been completely forgotten. The priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. That every Christian is a priest. Every Christian is a priest. What is a priest? The one who is between God and those that don't know him the priesthood of all believers. And most Protestant churches like we are would still say, scripture alone, yes, faith alone, yes, grace alone, yes, but priesthood of believers, yeah, not so much. 
Open your Valley app. I want to show you a lot of verses during our time together. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, I hope you'll make use of that because I think you want to look back on this. Again, scripture alone, right? So let's go to the scripture and see what the scripture says about you and about me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the apostle Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, but you are a chosen race. Did you know there's only two races from God's point of view? There's only two races, the redeemed and the unredeemed, the forgiven and the unforgiven. Those are the only two races, his children and those that deny him. That's it. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's not talking about clergy. The whole idea of clergy and laity, that was 200 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's not anywhere in the Bible, clergy and laity. But you, that's every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Do you understand what Peter did there? He combined two things in the New Testament that were never combined in the Old Testament, priest and royalty. There was never a royal priest in the Old Testament, in all of Israel. But the Holy Spirit inspires Peter and says, this is what Christ's followers are. They are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, for God's own possession, that you may do what? Why does God say you're a royal priesthood? Why does he say you're a a holy nation? Why does he say you're a special race? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now we're beginning to stumble on what's been forgotten by most of the church. The reason why you are where you are. The reason why you're a royal priest, to proclaim who God really is to those who don't know. To proclaim the excellencies, that's God, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This wasn't anything new when Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, inspired him to do this to write these words of scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19, it says, you are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. God spoke to the nation of Israel and said, the reason you exist is to influence other people for me. That's the Old Testament. To influence other people for me. Of course, Peter picks up on that as well in what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So I have a question for you as we start out this series during our time together right now. Are you an influencer or are you more influenced by others? As God says, you're called to influence other people. It's like part of our job description as followers of Christ. To influence other people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it makes it a lot clearer. And this is kind of the the, the framework for this whole passage. I mean, this whole series we're going to be in for the next few weeks uh, as we're we're calling it spheres. Look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about uh, false leaders in the church that were bragging about what they've accomplished and all these things. But listen to what he explains kind of in defense of who he actually was and how God was using him. And I think we're going to stumble on a real key of why we're actually calling this series spheres. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service. There's the word, the sphere. The sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us. Paul understood that God had assigned to him a sphere of influence. 
And do you know what? He's assigned to you a sphere of influence as well. That there are people that you come in contact with day in and day out, week in and week out, that you know what? As a pastor, I I will never meet those people. I will never come across their path. But God, just like he did Paul, has assigned you a sphere. What is that sphere for? To serve him. To serve him. He says, we will not boast, uh, uh, we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. What does it mean? Very important, just breaking this down right now, unpacking it. What is a sphere? It's influencing people. He says to the church of Corinth, he goes, our sphere includes you. It's people. It's not buildings. It's not stuff. It's not things. What's a sphere? People. Influence in people's lives. He says, to the church of Corinth, he goes, you're in our sphere that God's assigned to us. He goes on and he says, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues, he's talking about Christians in Corinth, as your faith continues, look at what he says, and it grows, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. He's saying God's called us to influence you, Christians in Corinth, you're in our sphere, people, believers, And as we continue to influence you, we're praying that God would just use your influence to spread even to other people as well in the spheres that he's given to you, and it will greatly expand. And he goes on and he says, so that we can, here it is, what is it all about? What's the purpose of the influence? So that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. It's to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the very mission of our church, reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. I like to say it this way. We exist for the benefit of those who have never darkened the doors of our church. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And this is what the New Testament is all about. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be all about. And so it says, for we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. And I had them highlight that. You know why? (laughs) It's the exact same word in Greek. Sphere. Someone else's sphere. This translation in NIV translates it the word territory. It's the exact same word in the original language of the New Testament. We're not going to jump into someone else's sphere. And so this whole idea, Paul recognized the church of Corinth. He's like, this this is my responsibility. This is a sphere. This is influence God's given to me. And I want to influence you so that 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 influence will grow even greater. For what purpose? For the purpose of Jesus Christ. To touch people's lives with the power of Jesus Christ. And that's the way it always is all throughout Scripture. God works in my life. God works through my life. God works in your life. God works through your life. It's never just for me. It's never just for you. God does in our lives. He blesses us, can I put it this way, so that we can be a blessing to others. You're blessed to be a blessing. And if I had time, I could show you this all throughout the Old Testament as well. Started with Abraham. He said, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Influence. Your sphere is going to be so great. Powerful. By the way, just think on this a little bit. Those Bible scholars out there, if you ever read the Bible cover to cover, you'll notice that God rarely ever used clergy for anything in the Bible. It was always people that had other jobs 
other vocations, almost without any exception. And we've made this thing over the history of the church secular and sacred. Clergy and laity. And it's not in the Bible. And it's one of the reasons why the American church especially is so inept. That they just have no power, no influence because we've forgotten that's what we're supposed to be doing. Influencing people in our sphere in our sphere. Many, many years ago, there were uh, some, some uh, Christian leaders that began to identify uh, what was called seven different kind of spheres of culture. And, and every single one of us, you have any job, no matter what it is, would fall into one of these seven spheres. And let's look at them real quick. Seven spheres of, of influence in culture. And this is American culture. It's almost any culture at all. First of all is the church sphere. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at, you know, as a pastor. I'm in the church sphere. Now, you'll see these are in no particular order necessarily. Uh, so it's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The second one is this, government sphere. In the government sphere, that would not only include uh, elected officials, but it would also include law enforcement. It would also include the military as well. That's in the government sphere of influence. Uh, the next one uh, is arts and entertainment. That pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, then the next one is education. We have so many teachers and educators that are in the Valley family. It's absolutely mind-blowing. In fact, uh, over half, uh, not half, 25%, best we could figure this out, last time I had... Uh, the administrator just kind of run this. 25% of the Valley family is employed by government. 25%. Government, law enforcement, corrections, military. The other 25% is education. And I didn't know this. Someone actually told me those two end up marrying quite often. Spouses to one another. I, I didn't even know that, but it, it makes sense. It probably represents 50% of the churches, uh, the adults in our church between government and education. But the next one is business. And in business, that's a big, big umbrella of these seven spheres. In business, in case you're wondering, underneath that umbrella, obviously, would be entrepreneurs and business owners and uh, corporate business. It's also science and medicine. How many of you know healthcare's big business, isn't it? Yeah, that's why you're paying all those premiums. It's a business. So, so healthcare, medicine, science, all those things are in the business sphere. And then the media sphere. Media sphere as well. That could be print, that could be digital. And the seventh sphere is family. Family is a sphere. Now watch this now. Especially students might be a little bit different. If you're a student, you're in the education sphere. You're not in much control of it, but you're in there, okay? That, that's where you are. If you're not, if you're an adult and you're out working and all, I guarantee you're in one of these spheres. One of these spheres. And almost everything that goes on in a culture can be put into one of these categories, these seven spheres. God is working in all seven of these places today, right now as we speak. And I dare say we probably have representation in the Valley family in every single one of these. Let me just show you, for instance, I've been in three different ones. Actually, let me see. No, I've been in four different ones of these at different times in my life. Obviously, I'm in the church sphere uh, right now, 
I was in the education sphere, 12 years paid coach, high school football coach. I got a, I got a check, Wappinger Central School, that was sent to me while I was pastoring the education uh, family. I'm a dad. That's the third one. I'm a dad. And, and so God's given me that sphere of influence in my children's lives to, to reach them and to influence them and to impact their lives for Jesus Christ. Uh, also in business, I'm actually the president of three different corporations. One is Valley Christian Church, Inc., but there's also Axe Global Network, uh, and also Greg Williamson Ministries. All of those are not-for-profits, but those are businesses as well. And so those, just one person, four spheres, just like that. And God has purpose in the sphere of influence he's placed you in. And so what my big goal is during our time together today and also through this whole series is this. When you go to work on Monday, that you'll have a greater sense of God's presence and God's purpose with you than perhaps you've ever had before. Because you're not just working to get a paycheck. God's placed you where you are for his sake, for his sake. Heard the story of about a man in our church recently who actually is a barber. And he was praying, I was like, God, just give me a chance to share good news of Jesus Christ with some of the folks that sit in my chair. Sure enough, that is exactly what happened like three days later. Guy sat down, they get to talking, something came up about church and he asked his barber, where do you go to church? He said, I go to Valley Christian Church. And he said, well, you seem excited about that. That's weird. Who's excited about church? And he began to tell him about Valley Christian Church. Two weeks ago, the barber in our church and that man came and he received Jesus Christ as his savior. And God honored that prayer. God, just let me influence someone in my shop, in my barber's chair. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So just, just for a minute, we'll look at these each week. Think about what sphere do you belong in there? God's given you a place of influence, a sphere of influence for his sake. For his sake, you are where you are. Let me put it this way. God, God has called you. Let me put it this way. I heard this statement recently. It just shot through me and I was like, I'm gonna have to do a whole series on this because of this statement I believe is true. If God has called you to be a janitor, don't settle for being a pastor. I don't mess with you because we're so messed up in our thinking about what God wants. If God has called you to be a janitor, don't, settle, don't compromise your life by being a pastor. For me, I know God's called me to be a pastor. Do you know what that means? I can never settle for being the president of the United States because I would not fulfill God's call on my life. That's not the purpose that he created Greg Williamson for to be the president of the United States. I, that would be settling below, living a life below the life that God created me for. If God's called you to be a janitor, if God's called you to be a teacher, if God's called you to be in law enforcement, if God's called you to whatever he's called you to be, don't settle for being a pastor. But if God's called you to be a pastor, you won't be happy doing anything else. Listen, I've been a pastor for 27 years. I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of people that are paid as pastors have no business being pastors. No business whatsoever. 
It's something they wanted to do, but it's very clear they're not called to do it. Not called to do it at all. God's called us, and, and, and this whole idea that like pastor is the ultimate in terms of pleasing God profession, there's nothing that could be further from the truth of scripture. See, look at what God says in the scripture in Colossians chapter three, verse 22, and you're gonna wanna write this down if you don't have your app, because it's gonna be like, wait, what? Work willingly at whatever you do, all seven spheres. Not just being a pastor, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Did you know this is in the Bible? And it gets even clearer. Listen to what else it says. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. Did you realize your boss, if you work for someone, your boss is not your boss? Jesus is? You can be an entrepreneur and own your own business. But guess what? You don't really own it. Jesus does. He's your boss. And we have to give an account one day to Jesus for how we've worked, what we've done with where he's placed us. Have we used that sphere of influence for his good or for our own selfish means? Let me read this again because this is just crazy. So many of us don't realize this. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord because you are rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. I used to think that the church was the hope of the world. I don't believe that anymore. I, I used to believe that the church was the hope for all that ails the world. I don't believe that anymore. And I'm a pastor saying that. And it's not because I've gotten pessimistic or, you know, whatever, cynical. This is what I believe the hope of the world is. The church which is not buildings, is people. Mobilized is the hope of the world. The church that recognizes who we are, that God has placed you Monday through Friday or shift work or teaching and summers off, he's placed you right where you are for his sake to influence the people around you. And that even goes for stay-at-home moms, those kids you're raising. He's placed you there to influence those kids for his sake. The hope of the world is not the church, us sitting here doing services. The hope of the world is us recognizing, that's why I like to say it as an old football coach, this is the locker room. This isn't the game. This is the locker room. This is the locker room speech when we gather here. And then we go out and we execute the game plan Jesus has given to us. That's the hope of the world. When we as individual Christians and as a church recognize that, this is the locker room. Once you recognize this whole idea of the sphere that God's given to you and your life has a purpose, a unique plan and purpose that God has for you to accomplish in your life, you just see things different. In fact, you see 
the rest of scripture completely different. Let me remind you of a couple of things that you, you're very aware of that Jesus said, and all of a sudden you're gonna be like, so that's what he was talking about. I had no idea he was talking about like on the job. He was talking about like these seven spheres. Look at this, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you are like salt for everyone on earth. You're the salt of the earth. Salt, 2,000 years ago when Jesus said this, it, it was used as a preservative and also seasoning as well. He was like, You're, my followers are to preserve the culture, the godliness in the culture, and also to season it, to influence everyone on earth. Jesus also put it this way, Matthew 5, 16, a few verses later. You're, uh, let your light shine, influence let your light shine so that others will do what? See the good that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. He says, you're the salt of all the people on earth. Let your light shine. And what did he go on? You can read the rest of it. What did he go on? He warned his followers, don't hide your light under a bushel. Too much of the church is hiding inside the walls of the church and not recognizing God created me to shine, to shine in the sphere that he has given to me. I've already said it, but so you can fill in the outline as we're working our way through. You are where you are for his sake. You are where you are for his sake. I, I, so many of us, we can talk about it. You know, I hear these stories all the time, you know, like, I, I can't believe I landed this job. I can't believe I got that promotion. I, I never thought 10 years ago I'd ever be doing this. How did it happen? Let me just give you my answer. God, he did it. He put you where you are for his sake. He gave you a sphere. And he wants you to influence those in your sphere for his sake. Listen, I, I'm not just saying this because, uh, because I'm a pastor, because I've been a pastor for a while, but I, I haven't been a pastor all my life. In fact, I, I remember kind of an interesting story. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked at Friendly's Ice Cream uh, on Main Street in Fishkill. And uh, I began working there early on my senior year, worked all senior year, right up until I went to college. And so I had been working at Friendly's for, oh, I guess about maybe six, nine months, uh, scooping ice cream there. And man, I could make a, a, you know, Jim Dandy and a Fribble and all that stuff. Very proficient in it. And I remember a guy that, that I, I wasn't necessarily a real good friend, but it was a guy I knew from high school because his last name ended in W. And so we were in homeroom, seventh grade, all the way through high school. And he got hired. And I remember when he got hired, I had been working real hard at just what we're talking about here, just influencing the people that I was working with for Jesus Christ. And we get to talking and, and just real naturally in the conversation, I'd start sharing with him about my faith in Jesus Christ and my love for Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and I was very well respected and people would ask me, they'd come to me like, hey, could we talk in the break room? And they're like asking for advice and stuff like this. I'm in high school. And, uh, and I remember this guy got hired and, uh, and he came in and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian like Greg Williamson. And I was like, really? I, 
been in homeroom all these years. I had no idea. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And uh, he, he, he swore like a sailor, and he's always flirting with the girls and checking them out and saying all this derogatory stuff. And one night, I just kind of, I'm not recommending this approach, but one night, I just kind of got a little fed up with a guy named Dave. And, uh, and uh, I, I, he was on the grill one night, and he was swearing and cursing. And I walked up, and I said, Dave, uh, could I talk to you for a minute? He's like, sure. And I said, in the kitchen. He's like, all right. And, uh, and I was standing there and, you know, I'm almost 50 now, but back then I was like jacked. And uh, I said, Dave, listen, I just want to just want to warn you right now. And he's like, what's that? I said, if you don't start acting like a Christian, I'm going to beat the snot out of you. He's like, what? I said, if you don't start acting like Jesus is your savior, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to cause you great pain. And he's looking at me. He's like, are you serious? I said, do I look serious? He's like, okay, message received. And he began to change. And I went off to college. I never saw him for years. Probably four years went by. Susie and I got married and we were at the post office in Fishkill one day and we were mailing a package and we came out and this car goes and hits the horn, almost comes up on the sidewalk. Window goes down, hey, Williamson! And I look, and there's Dave. He parks the car, and he comes around. He goes, I got something to say to you. It's four years later. I said, what are you doing, Dave? What's up? I'm a pastor here. He says, thank you. I said, for what? He said, thank you for threatening to beat the snot out of me. He said, because you know what? I don't know anyone else that would have said that to me. But I went home and I changed. And he said, I'm on break right now from seminary. And I'm studying to be a pastor. Dave and I are in touch today, and he's been pastoring for over 20 years in the state of Pennsylvania. You are where you are for his sake. Now, I'm not, in 1980s, it worked threatening people. Don't do that now. You're going to get in trouble. I'm not saying that was the right approach. But, but what I'm saying is this isn't, just, this isn't just a pastor thing. This is supposed to be like a follower of Jesus thing. That, that you are where you are for his sake. It's not an accident that you live in the neighborhood you live in. It's not an accident that, that you come in contact with the people that you come in contact with. Just even earlier, I was speaking with a guy, and he was talking about the gym that he works out at, that he came across, and a guy came up to him and he goes, hey, didn't I see you in church this week? He's like, yeah. He's like, I've been attending Valley the last couple of weeks. We really love it. They were talking about the church, and another guy comes over, and he says he just won, like, Mr. New York State, and he's all jacked. And he's like, hey, man, I'm looking for a good church. Tell me about your church. In the gym. In the gym, you are where you are for God's sake. God placed you there for a reason. And so there's four, four important questions that in this introductory message about spheres that I think are important that we ask. Four important questions. You ready? Here's the first one. Why? <laughs> Why does God do this? Why? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, the Bible says, don't forget to do good for others and to share what you have with them. These are the kind of sacrifices that please God. 
We're blessed to be a blessing. Everything God does in your life is meant to be shared with other people. Even the hard times that God walks you through and you'll come and he'll bring that person across so you can share. You know, I went through a tough time just like that, but God gave me the strength to share it. See, God has no plan B. God really, really likes it when we love one another and when we serve one another. It puts a smile on his face. In fact, Mother Teresa put it this way, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. He has no plan B. Everything God wants to do on this planet is through your life and through my life. That's the answer to why. What about where? Where where do we start? Where, Where do we begin influencing people? Right where you are. It's not tomorrow. It's not the next day. It's not, you know, years from now, I'll start. It's right where you are. It's your world. God's plan to change this world is for every Christian to change their world. That's what God is ultimately after. You may remember the story in the Old Testament when God spoke to Moses, Moses who had grown up as a prince of Egypt and, and then found out that really he was Jewish, he was Hebrew, and he killed an Egyptian soldier, ran for his life, and for 40 years he was a shepherd. And then God spoke to him from the burning bush, the Bible says, and, Jesus, uh, and, and Moses turned and, and, and he heard what, and God said to him, I want you to go back to Egypt and through your life, I'm going to use you as a deliverer of my people. And you go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is pretty uptight about this and feeling incredibly inadequate and definitely not uh, qualified, underqualified for this. He says, what am I going to do if they don't believe me? <laughs> Lord, what am I going to do if they don't believe me? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, and beginning in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, What's that in your hand? Moses answered, A staff. He replied, and God said, Throw it on the ground. Moses is like, you know, I need some training. I need some equipment. I need some experience, all this. And he goes, How, what if they don't believe me? And he goes, Moses, what's in your hand? He goes, it's a shepherd's staff. I'm a shepherd. He goes, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. The Bible says it turned into a snake. And then God said, pick it up. And he reached down to pick that snake up and it turned right back into a shepherd's staff. God said, show him that little trick. (laughs) See if that doesn't kind of get their attention. So he didn't say something's going to happen a year from now or, or just wait three years from now. He said, what do you have right now? And I'll use what you have right now to get the message across. What does God put in your hand right now? Where you work, where you watch your kids play, your sphere of influence, the grocery store, the bank. God's placed you right where you are for his sake. That's where, right where you are. Galatians chapter six, verse four. It says, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. See, God has given you the opportunity you have right now to glorify him right where you are. There is no meaningless work when it comes to God. 
He's put you right where you are for his sake. Some of you know the story about Helen Keller and her life, born deaf, born blind. Absolute miracle story. If you've never read it, Google it, get the movie, read the book. (laughs) Helen Keller put it this way, blind and deaf. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something I can do. Those are the words of a woman who was born deaf and blind. And she realized, I can impact someone else's life. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I will do what I can do right where I am. How do we influence people? I think there's two ways. That's the second, the third question, how? How are we gonna do this? I think there's two ways. First of all, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings. Be sensitive to the Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives. In Proverbs chapter three, verses 27 and 28, it says, do all you can for everyone who deserves your help. Don't tell your neighbor to come back tomorrow if you can help them today. I can't tell you how many times just, and and I'm praying that even this message in this series is going to really sensitize us even more to the Holy Spirit's promptings. How many times I'm just going, doing my thing. Maybe when I was coaching, you know why I coached high school football? I love football. But the reason I coached high school football was to make a difference in those young men's lives. That's why I coached for 12 years. That's why I did it. It was for, I recognized God gave me some abilities. God gave me some skills. God gave me a mind for, for football and the game of it for a reason, to impact people's lives. Do all you can for everyone who deserves your help. What is it that you're good at that, that you could help someone else at? Don't tell your neighbor to come back tomorrow if you can help them today. That's, that's the words of scripture. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings so many times. And, and I've told stories through the years and I could tell even more where I'd be at practice and it would just be like all of a sudden I would just feel like God's saying, go up and ask that boy how his weekend was. And I'd go up and I'd just strike up a conversation and I'd just ask another question and before you know it, they're just opening up. Something terrible had happened. I was like, let's talk about this after practice. I've been able to encourage guys. Brother, one time it happened over here. John Jay's brother, night before, had attempted suicide. I had no idea. I just felt this prompt. Go up and talk to him. I was able to really encourage him and pray for him right there on the field of John Jay. Be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings. Second thing, the second way we can do this or how in answer to the question how, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. My dad has this saying, he always used to throw it out there, in the valley of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to have it all together, but you know what? You've gone through some stuff in your life that someone else is facing right now. And you can help them. You can help them. And you just, God, give me eyes to see. God, just speak to me. Let me be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. You'll be amazed 
at how God will bring people across your path. To encourage them, to share a little bit of your story, and to point them to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 10 and 11 says this way. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, he's talking about helping other people. Watch what happens. Then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like noonday. Your light. Do you realize what God's saying through the prophet Isaiah? If you begin to look to help other people who are hurting, you see a need and you feel it. You see a hurt and you heal it. Then your light will shine. And look at what it says. Your night will become like noonday. You say, well, I'm going through my own stuff. And that's exactly what God's talking about. Look to help someone else. And all of a sudden, as you're walking through the darkness, the light will shine like it's noonday in your life, right in the middle of the difficulty you're walking through. And it goes on and says, this is awesome. The Lord will guide you always. And listen to this promise. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. When I look, there's a need, I'm going to meet it. There's a hurt, I'm going to heal it. God says, you know what? I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to heal your hurts because you're reaching out to meet other people's needs and to heal other people's hearts. That's the whole trick of it, that God has put us where we are for his sake to touch other people's lives. What, what is this all about? Why is it so important? I wish I could go deeper, but this is just an introductory message in this whole series. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is a beautiful passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says about all of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. For we are his, that's God's, capital H, workmanship. Watch. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God prepared for you as a follower of Christ, for me as a follower of Christ, good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize what God's, God has got a job description for Greg Williamson's life. And he's got a job description for your life as well. And he goes, I've prepared some things for you to do in your life that I want you to do. That's what one day we're going to have to give an account for. Not how we spent our life, but how we fulfilled God's call and plan for our life. The good works that God prepared before we even knew him. Before we even knew him. Every one of us one day will stand before Jesus and he'll say, this is what I had for you to do. Now let's see, how'd you do? And he'll reward us for how we did or there's no reward. Because we spent our life the way we wanted to. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about those who have received Christ as Savior. I'm talking about eternal rewards based on did you fulfill the call of God on your life? Everything, all these good works that he prepared for you beforehand. He's not preparing them now. He's got it all prepared. That's why it's so important we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
to do everything that he's called us to do. In fact, just, just for, for the sake of greater understanding, one more verse I want to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, the same idea. But on judgment day, that's what I'm talking about, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. That's you and me, building God's kingdom. The fire will show if a person's work has any value at all. You are where you are for his sake. God has created good works for you to do before you even knew him. And every one of us one day on that judgment day, it's not if you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, this is not judgment about heaven or hell. This is judging how did you do in fulfilling the call that I had for you? Did you fulfill it or did you not? On that judgment, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if the person's work has any values. See, as a Christian, someone who has received Christ as a savior, we will not be judged by what we did. We will be judged by what God called us to do. Not by what we did, but what did God call you to do? See, if God's called you to be a janitor, don't settle for being a pastor. If God's called you to be an educator, don't settle for being the governor. If God's called you to be in law enforcement, don't settle for being a world-renowned author. Each one of us We'll stand before Jesus and be judged. Not by what we did, but what God called us to do. I, I've got a little video I want to share with you right now that I think just kind of probably says this a whole lot better than I'll ever be able to. Let's go ahead and show that right now. Question. What are you called to do? Ask that question because we won't be judged according to what we did in life, but rather what we were called to do in life. Imagine with me standing before the throne of God and a scenario like this occurred. Evangelist Anderson, come forth and give an account of your stewardship on earth. E evangelist Anderson, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, I, I'm an accountant. I, 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 I had an accounting firm. I had an evangelist Anderson. Where are the 347,566 souls I called you to impact in Asia, son? Where are they? I, I, I'm, an, I, I'm an accountant. I, I had an accounting firm. I, I, I helped churches. I helped ministries with their, their, their finances. Son. Where are the 347,566 souls in Asia I called you to impact? Son, where are they? Had you sought me, had you sought my face, I would have revealed this to you. And everything in regards to that man's calling was burnt up before the judgment seat of Christ. Accountant Jones, step forward and give an account of your stewardship. I, I, 
accountant, Jones? No, I, no, I'm not. I passed it for 35 years. I, I, I had a, a membership of 750 people. Accountant Jones, I called you to the marketplace. Had you done this, you would have significantly impacted two people. You and those two men would have helped churches with their finances, and those churches would have impacted 751,000. 321 souls. If you would assault me, I, I would have revealed this to you. And again, in regards to this man's calling, everything he's done in life would be burned up before the judgment seat of Christ. Sister Smith, come forth give an account of your stewardship. Uh, I, I only raised three children. I, I never preached to, to nations. I, I never even been on a, a missionary trip. I, I only tried my hardest to raise my children in your way. souls those three children impacted you sought me and you heard my voice you were obedient to my call well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord to the calling that's on your life, you won't be judged according to what you did. You will be judged according to what you were called to do. I think that kind of explains the point I've been trying to make. What have you been called to? What have you been called to? Because what God's called you to is nothing less than what God's called me to. And what God's called me to is nothing greater than what he's called you to. God wants us to recognize he created good works for you and I to do before we even knew him. That's what we're gonna have to give an account for one day. You are where you are for his sake. And he wants to work in your life and through your life to influence other people and to touch their lives for his sake. I'm gonna ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, may we seek you and fulfill your calling on our lives to be salt and to be light to those around us. May we begin right here 
right where we are today and tomorrow and in the weeks and the months to come to influence those in the sphere that you've placed us in. For your sake, Lord, we ask you not just to work in our lives, but God, we ask you to work through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.